0: Welcome to episode six of everything eos i'm zach gall an ico data analyst at ico alert the trusted ico platform visit icoalert.com the complete calendar of all active and upcoming icos to discover the latest projects and opportunities like eos.io and I'm here today with our founder, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us on another
1: episode of Everything EOS. Uh, once again, we do appreciate the feedback and the comments that we get about the show. Um, we've seen you guys share your, your thoughts and opinions on Twitter, on Reddit, and the YouTube comments. So uh, please continue doing that. Please continue sharing your comments with us so that we know uh, how to improve in the future. Um, if you did enjoy this show, please let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts.
0: On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOSIO, including speculation about the mainnet launch and different scenarios that might take place, an upcoming airdrop, and a big announcement from Rob about a new block producing candidate. Now, before we get started,
1: I do need to mention that this is uh, not a sponsored podcast. We have not been paid uh, to put on this podcast. We're simply just members of the community who hold EOS tokens ourselves. Uh, as a matter of disclosure and disclaimer, both Gall and I do hold EOS tokens, but this is not to be construed as financial, legal, professional, tax, or any other kind of advice. We're simply talking about our own opinions and we recommend you do your own due diligence before you make any financial decisions.
0: So there's there's been a few things going on this week. There is the big Fudster uh, rumor going around about <laughs> that Ethereum bug. Yeah. Uh, Dan quickly shut it down, but you want to tell the audience about it a little bit. Yes, there was a bug
1: in some Ethereum ERC twenty smart contract. So when when you have a token on an Ethereum blockchain, it's basically just a smart contract, and there was a bug um, that enabled some hackers to basically go in and change the max supply of the actual token, if I'm I'm not mistaken. So you could go in and and for example change a token supply from a hundred million to a billion and just print another 900 million tokens.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed like no matter what, what the token supply was set at, say it's set at a, a billion tokens like EOS, uh, with this bug it was rumored that you could just create new tokens so it'd be on top of whatever the maximum supply would be and have ownership of those tokens. Um, there, there was a link to an article about it that everyone was sharing, calling out EOS as being susceptible to this bug. And it, it kind of scared a lot of people, but Dan was pretty quick with yeah, response. Yeah, very quick. Shut it down. But it's, it's just crazy how the motivations of everyone in the community with all, all, of, all of the FOMO and FUD and the mix of it all. <laughs> and the thing that bothers me the most is there's actually people who FUD EOS, even though they love EOS, because they want to buy it back cheaper. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's I, I think it's
1: it's interesting to break this down. So, like Dan had two responses throughout this whole thing. First, he came out and said just immediately, um, once the ETH bug came out, saying, hey, the, the EOS ERC20 contract is not susceptible. Like it doesn't have the same bug. Don't worry. Nobody can increase that EOS supply um, for the placeholder tokens right now. But then somebody put out a blog post basically saying that using the EOS Dawn 3.0 code, like the most recent version of the code, they were able to, to find the same bug um, on EOS. And Dan quickly came out and said, no, you just coded it really poorly. Anybody can code in that bug. But actually, you're using deprecated code. You know, you, you basically did it incorrectly. So he shut it down pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. So, so today, RC2 is being announced, um, release candidate 2. I should be be getting pushed out. We're recording this on Thursday, so you'll be listening to this on Friday. That's whenever um, Release Candidate 2 is being pushed out. Um, You could probably expect a blog post by Dan later today. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I think so. That's what happened with RC1. Uh, Big news around that. I'm not sure of all the features they're coming out with for RC2. I did look at the GitHub. I saw the different... I guess tasks that they were had assigned and their completion percentages and stuff but it it was hard to dig through it and figure out what's going on I'm for Dan's post yeah some of the stuff
1: I know got it looked like got moved to a different uh, not a different branch but like a different timeline so like a pre-launch timeline versus May 4th timeline Um, so but if all's still well I mean they they should come out with RC2 on on May the 4th so maybe Dan is a big Star Wars fan and that's why he picked the 4th I
0: think the other big news was there was an airdrop announced I'm not even sure how to say it Horus Pay
1: I think it's Horus Pay is how you pronounce it I'm not. Uh, 100% sure uh, of sort of the intricacies of the platform, um, but they say that they're a decentralized global payroll portal. Um, so ostensibly, you would be able to pay your employees through this portal. That's the way I understand it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure on it. I'm not even really 100% sure on the whole airdrop model. The more I've been thinking about it, I read, um, really some input. Uh, Thomas Cox gave in one of the Telegram channels, I read the summary on ESGO, huh. um, and his, his thoughts were that you have this distributed group of token holders, but like, that's not exactly safe to have for a governance model for these people that have nothing to do with the company making like, company decisions. It'd be like putting a bunch of strangers on your board of directors of your company. Oh, I see what you're saying. So if the tokens are, are voting rights, the, the token holders just want to increase the value of their tokens. But if you're running a company like with ESDAC, they're they're a block producing company, right? And there, there's, I, th- I think the same issue happened with um, with, with Dan whenever he was doing his, his first exchange, was the the governance model kind of cut funding for future development. Yeah,
1: on Steam. Yeah, Steam voted to, to get rid of inflation and basically as a result... It was result, actually
0: BitShares. Not Steam. Oh, was it BitShares? It was BitShares.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah. They, they voted to just remove inflation so basically the developers couldn't get paid anymore.
0: Yeah, so th- that's what I mean about the disalignment of incentives. If the people holding the tokens don't actually care about the project, they only care about increasing the value of their token... That's probably the worst governance model that you could have. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to
1: look at it from the long term, too, though. Like, a lot of people will will probably use their voting power to make short-term gains, whether it's like trying to remove mm-hmm. inflation or lower inflation, but in the long term, if you totally remove inflation from the network, there aren't going to be block producers and it's going to fail. So.
0: Yeah, I, I, there has I, to be a I balance. Think, I think it's just uncharted territory. I, yeah. I, obviously, I love the airdrops, but I also do due diligence on all the projects and fi- find a way to get behind them in whatever way I can. Um, And like you said, I think um, the people who actually care about the decisions being made are probably going to go through the process of acquiring as many tokens as they can to maintain some level of control over the decision-making of the DAC or DAO or whatever project is doing the airdrop. Definitely. but um,
1: Yeah, we'll and there are definitely, I mean, there are trade-offs with, like you said, kind of inviting all these people to have a, a board seat, basically, assuming yeah. your tokens are some kind of governance power, which it seems like a lot of these airdrops are. Um, but I think you get a lot of positives, too. Like, you get that, uh, the, the potential to have an instant community, whereas before, you know, you would have to go out and... You know,
0: no, I I, I think it's marketing. I think it's great in the sense that it adds it, it it makes EOS the the biggest DAO ever imagined right where like these airdrops are adding value to the entire network rather than just to, to the token itself I mean we'll see I mean I, I, it's just such uncharted territory I'm I'm really curious to see what happens um, and I I think the airdrop model could work better for some projects than others but we'll see what happens yeah. What else is going on, Rob? You had a busy week, haven't you? Yeah. So for those who haven't heard yet, uh, Rob uh, started a new company over the last few months, and he made a pretty major announcement a few days ago.
1: Yes, I'm excited. Uh, we announced this uh, earlier this week. We're actually launching a block producer candidate for the EOS network. Um, so we'll be hopefully one of those top 21 active block producers out there producing blocks, you know, making sure the transactions go through, and, and securing the network. So the name of the block producer is Cypherglass, C-Y-P-H-E-R, glass. C-Y-P-H-E-R glass. Um, it's kind of a playoff of Cypher being code or key to the code and glass being transparency. You want to show the I,
0: website for everyone?
1: Yeah, cypherglass.com. <laughs> Go out and take a look. Uh, we got the whole team up there. We're uh, a team of about seven people, um, one of which is actually calling me on the phone right now. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, so, we're we're pretty excited.
0: So, what value does Safer Glass add to the ES network?
1: Yeah. So, first and foremost, we're we're focused on stable, highly secure block production. So, I think rather than you know getting too far ahead of ourselves and saying, oh, here are all of our plans for the future for how we want to you know add value other than secure block production. Our main focus going into June when this network launches is okay. How can we make sure that we're we're secure. Nobody takes over our block producer. Um, and, and that we have, you know, basically hundred percent uptime so that we're not missing any blocks. So that's our, f- our focus first and foremost, but then moving forward, I think one of the, the areas that we're really passionate about at Cipherglass um, is education. So we've seen a lot of other block producers, a lot of other, um, even, even a DApp called Carmel kind of focus on education of developers for EOS. And, and we really want to focus on education of individuals for EOS. So whether um, You know, you even have any tech skills uh, at all or not, we're looking on sort of educating people on what EOS is, the potential of it, the power of decentralized governance, and then maybe eventually how to actually build your own dApp.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So, we we talked about some of the uh, bigger name block producing candidates uh, last week, and we could rehash some of the stuff today, but one that we didn't talk about last week was EOSphere, who is a BP candidate. Um, I'm not sure their background bef- before EOSphere, uh, like like I knew about like Bitfinex or whatever, but they announced I think yesterday or the day before a big university partnership with RMIT University uh, in Australia. Now RMIT University um, they launched their first blockchain courses this 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 year. Um, I think the class is called Developing Blockchain Strategy. So they they're pretty new to the blockchain space, but uh, the agreement that EOSphere made with them includes. Um, a commitment to do a lot of research. So how I was talking about the um, airdrops, how it's just unknown right now because it's never been done before. Even DAOs haven't really been proven before. Yeah, I mean, the only only major DAO we had on
1: Ethereum ended very quickly, as
0: most people know. Yeah, so as part of this research agreement uh, with EOSphere, um, they're going to do actual, like, peer-reviewed research maybe, maybe uh, they'll actually be getting published in the uh, blockchain journal uh, huh. there, there's a peer-to-peer or peer-reviewed blockchain journal it's out of the university. i can't remember the name the ledger journal uh, the ledger journal yeah it's actually published here in pittsburgh out of the university of pittsburgh yeah uh, you, you met the editor didn't you
1: yeah we we grabbed lunch with him uh Romer. late That's last year i think yeah he's a great guy
0: yeah so may- maybe this research will get published in there i remember him saying something about like they don't Get a whole lot of peer-reviewed research in blockchain. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's what RMIT is going to be at the forefront of. But what they agreed to do research on is blockchain-enabled voting mechanisms and governance structures, um, examination of new and novel methods of collective decision-making, including DAOs and DAOs, um, and comparative examination of the impact of the ES blockchain on Trust altruistic organizations versus existing business models and the impact EOS will have on existing governance structures of altruistic organizations. Hmm. Really interesting stuff. So, yeah. we have profess- professional graduate level, PhD level students and professors. Researching these hard-to-answer questions, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting to see some of the
1: answers that they come up with, especially since none of this stuff has really existed in the wild yet, and maybe, you know, when a DAO launches on EOS, say it's maybe EOS DAC, for example, they'll take as a case study, it'll be really interesting to see if they study some of the ones in the wild and kind of their impact and maybe answer some of the questions you had earlier about, you know, is an airdrop the right model? Will you have a bunch of people just trying to go for short-term profit and Mm -hmm. pump the token price, or, you know, will they focus on long term. So.
0: And then uh, another uh, block producing candidate we mentioned last week was OK Blockchain Capital and they're starting something called OK Blockchain Academy um, and I think somewhere in the RMIT announcement I think it also said somewhere where they're developing online courses also for, for EOS development. Yeah, And I, I think education like like you said that's going to be the biggest piece of this because you, you need to have a, a huge developer community. Uh, right now Ethereum pretty much has a global reach, the biggest community of any blockchain software that's, that's been launched. But, I mean, we believe that EOS blows Ethereum away. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think of even, you know, the fact that EOS doesn't have a new programming
1: language, like Solidity is, you know, on Ethereum, that that all these people have to learn to develop, there's already going to be a massive pool of millions of developers that can build EOS apps as soon as EOS launches. So we don't have to really get people in to to learn a new coding language. It's more just about applying their existing knowledge to this new sort of decentralized infrastructure. I'm
0: I'm excited about the the opportunity to bring new developers in. So there's been rumors about, certain ETH projects moving over to EOS after the mainnet launch and that's great if you can convert ETH developers into EOS developers but what really needs to happen is fresh blood coming into the system people coming out of college as blockchain developers and their main programming language is going to be built on EOS using WebAssembly and C++ Yeah, I think that's, that's what the future holds and it seems like all of uh, not all but many of the block producer candidates are on the same page on, on the educational piece um, some of the other value adds uh, outside of the education is uh, a lot of incubators and accelerators are being funded or partially funded by, by the block producers themselves. And that's on top of block one actually funding yeah. the same exact stuff. So this, this is huge, guys, uh, ladies. <laughs> um, just all this funding to, to, to grow an ecosystem, it, it, it's taking on a life of its own. And we're less than a month away.
1: Yeah. Less than a and month. And this away. is something that we definitely want to do as well. If you take a look at our website for Cypherglass and you, you sort of scroll through our values, DAP development or DAP incubation to some extent is definitely something that we want to focus on. We're just not yet sure... Um, how we want to go about doing it, if that makes sense. The structure of it, you know, should it be an, an in-person incubator, should it be online, how, how do we find projects and vet them, and and we want to wait until we have that plan in place before we come out and kind of give a figure of you know the amount we're going to be committing and all that good stuff.
0: Should I tell them? I, I have some ideas for Rob, I'm, I'm not part of glass I'm just with ICO Alert, but uh, we do have Carnegie Mellon University here in Pittsburgh. There's nothing announced, nothing even in the works, so I, I don't want to lead to any speculation. But uh, for ICO Alert, at least, I've been working on uh, integrating with that community. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. If if not CMU, there's so many other universities. What what Eosphere did with, with RMIT University... That opportunity is there for other universities in the United in the United States. Definitely, and I, I think—I yeah, mean, there's so many opportunities.
1: Even when we met with Chris last year, before this block producer was even part of the discussion, um, it was very clear that there are a lot of kids in Pittsburgh who are at these Pittsburgh universities who are interested in crypto. Some of which, you know, ran Ethereum mining rigs or did something else yeah. in the space. That I think are now really just looking for guidance on how do they get into this. You know, what's the what's the right language to learn? Which platform should they build on? And I think we can definitely assist with that in some
0: way. And here at ICO Alert, we actually um, put out um, an internship program that, that we're working on for the summer. And with all the students at Carnegie Mellon University and the University of Pittsburgh and um, uh, I think Edinburgh University up, up in Erie, Um, we got slammed with applications and the job description wasn't for blockchain development. We're not a blockchain developing company. Uh, They're going to do other tasks. But what we found was 90% of our applicants were computer science students and none of them are are doing more than hobbyist work in in blockchain. And and through the interview questions, it's because there's no direction. They they don't know really where, where to begin or... Or what to do? There, there's no companies or accelerators or incubators in in Western Pennsylvania yeah. at least that, that are doing this kind of stuff.
1: I mean, even online, if you look at like the the difference in resources, I think we were talking about this last week a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, if you Google how to build a website or how to learn HTML or CSS or something like that, there's tons of resources, tons of places to start, probably too many places to start. But if you Google something like how to build decentralized apps, how to build blockchain apps, you really don't get that much information, if any information at all. So there is this huge void of like, where do I start? How do I do this? What courses should I take? So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out.
0: I haven't watched any, but I've been kind of through the Telegram channels, been seeing some videos posted or webinar upcoming webinars being announced that are kind of doing what we're talking about here, where it's like introductory stuff oh, nice. into developing on EOS. So I'm, I'm interested to see that stuff coming out. And I'm, I'm sure there's been stuff in the works, whether by Block One, the Block producers, or some of the VC funds. I think there's a lot of content that's going to be coming out. This is just speculation, but I mean. Everyone's looking forward to the EOS launch. These big names haven't been sitting on their hands this entire time. It takes a lot of time to build curriculum and build digital content. So I I think we're going to start seeing that sooner rather than later. Definitely this summer. Definitely. so what else has been going on? I'm trying to, trying yeah, to I think mean, of some
1: it, of the stuff. Speaking of the summer, it's kind of interesting what's going to... You know, everybody's asking the question now that we're, what, four weeks out from the actual EOS network launches. What's going to happen? You know, What are the different scenarios going to be? Is, how long is it going to take to launch? When do I get my tokens? Are there going to be multiple chains? And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what actually so does in happen. in your
0: opinion, what's the worst case scenario? Let's, <laughs> start, let's start with the worst, and then we'll, we'll go to the know. best. Ooh, worst case scenario. I think the worst would be if there are two equally, um, like, equal chains that have a similar amount of support. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. It, I, I don't think it's likely, though. If
1: there are two chains that get the 15% of total tokens, so you, you basically have to have 150 million people, uh, or 150 million tokens, excuse me, sort of... Um, claimed in their wallets in order for a blockchain to, to be recognized as valid in order for you to even be able to send transactions on that blockchain. So I would agree. I think that's probably close to worst case is two or more networks launch and get they both get the 15% unlock.
0: So what, what I think would happen in that scenario is it, it's, it, it would create a lot of controversy because like Binance, Kraken, and Bitfinex have already announced, there might be other exchanges, those are the ones I, off the top of my head, who have announced they're going to support the token swap. So pretty much whatever one they say is the main chain is most likely going to be the one called EOS. Well, and that's the crazy thing about this but it might not be called EOS.
1: That's the crazy thing about this. Dan even mentioned this in Telegram. Like, there will, at the end of the day, there there may be multiple chains, and I'm sure, you know, there are some other... Uh, in, even now, there are people who've said, hey, we're going to launch a different chain with a different distribution and, and all these different changes. Um, but, Dan, had a good point. There really will be one EOS because it is just whatever is on the exchanges. What's going to be the EOS pair on an exchange? Yeah,
0: I, I think... I, I really doubt that there's going to be two equally supported chains. That That's just next to impossible, especially with... The big players we talked about last week putting their name into the block producing candidate pool, uh, as far as like Bitfinex and OK Blockchain Capital and all, all the other monstrosities, yeah. <laughs> they already have this reach. And on Bitfinex, EOS became the top trading pair like over the last two weeks, more trade volume than than Bitcoin. Yeah. So they have this huge audience of of supporters. And e- even in a lot of the Telegram channels that are Bitcoin like evangelists are jumping on the ES train. So I think whatever one, these major block producing candidates are on, that's going to be the main chain. Because as of the 21 candidates, how many have been announced so far? Uh, we actually just passed 100. Passed so a
1: ton got announced, including Cypherglass. I think there were like 30 that were announced last week. So a, a huge amount.
0: And I, I think, I mean, there, people could disagree with this, but I think the big players, I, I, I'm going to say that they're, a lock. I'm voting for them. I, I'm going to vote for Bitfinex. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for all the big players that could add the most value to, to the system, the most stability to the system. Um, yeah, I mean, I would. I also guess... want to distribute. I'm, I'm not going to just vote for the big dogs. I'm going to probably EOS New York. Yeah. Uh, I think they add a lot of value to the community. I agree
1: with that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at just the the reach that somebody like a Bitfinex or even an amp pool with all the, the people who have contributed to their mining pool in the past, just the reach that these people have, I think it, it would be shocking to me if they didn't get voted in. Because even if, you know, a small, small percentage of the total people they have access to votes for them, that's still a ton of votes.
0: Speaking of this, this actually brings up a point I meant to talk about earlier. Um, what's his name? Paolo? I think it's Paolo. Paolo. uh, Sorry, Paolo, if you hear this, um, if I messed your name up. But um, in the Telegram channel, he was was, um, kind of in an argument with with another block producer candidate about distrust or something. And he came out and said uh, one of the the things that they're going to do is they're going to actually, I'll I'll just quote him. He said, my project is that Bitfinex slash Eosfinex will have an internal way of staking for proposals slash changes customers' money is not ours. We don't have any benefit in voting with customers' coins for something that customers don't want. That would simply hurt our business. So that was the first statement he made. But then a few days later, he actually mentioned that they're building an open source library to have a way to keep your uh, tokens on an exchange while still having... Uh, the ability to vote for different proposals and block producers. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Because we talk about voter participation. It's it's one of the biggest issues with governance protocols on other blockchains is how do we get people to vote? I guess it's just like in real life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how do you get people to vote? Because a lot, a lot of people in the blockchain space are just traders and speculators. Yeah. So they don't care about the project as much. But. If they're allowed to keep their tokens on an exchange and still be able to support different governance projects and proposals, that's awesome. And the fact that it's going to be open source means that like, EOS Phoenix won't be the only decentralized exchange on EOS. They they have a large audience already, so they'll have a leg up on that. But they're they're sharing everything they're building with yeah everyone.
1: What I like the most about this, honestly, is that they're setting a couple different precedents. Like the, the first precedent is as an exchange, it's not okay to vote with your customers' tokens without them telling you who they want to vote for and then and then voting mm-hmm. accordingly. So I think that's awesome to see first and foremost that they're not just gonna like take the hundred million EOS or whatever it is oh, in their exchange yeah. and vote for themselves. Because I think that would be horrible. Um, but second of all, I think it's setting a good precedent that it's you know, every other exchange exchange. exchange that holds EOS is going to look worse than EOS FINEX and look worse than Bitfinex until they implement that similar system that lets people vote, you know, vote for what are the top, you know, two proposals on the network that are going to get funded from inflation, um, what block producers do you want to vote for, all kinds of stuff. So I think it's awesome to see them setting
0: both of those precedents, and hopefully it'll make for a better network going forward. So you still have to talk about the best case scenario, but I want to add one more thing to the worst case scenario, and it was a recent change that kind of came out of thin air about the number of standby block producers yeah so this is something that uh,
1: theoretically anybody can configure this number at launch so if all the block producers said oh actually actually want it to still be 121 total block producers 100 of which are are standby um, they could do that but there's some interesting uh, sort of ideas coming from block one and they haven't justified you know why they they want to make this change they haven't even said for sure that they want to make it or are going to make it but there's been a discussion in telegram about lowering the standby bp number from um 100 down to 49 so it'll be 70 total block producers rather than 121 total
0: so i think a, a lot of the i guess quote unquote, controversy around that is that it hasn't really been explained that well of yeah. the reasoning But nothing Dan and Block One does is without reason. So I think that's all going to come out here soon. I would honestly
1: guess that we see, assuming they still go through with the change, I would guess that May Fourth, when RC two supposedly comes out, that we would also see an update in that same blog post about, hey, here's here's part of RC two. We've lowered the number to this, and here's why.
0: I think you're right. So since this is going to be, uh, you're going to be listening to this on Friday, May Fourth. That might already be out by the time you hear this. But check out Dan's blog post. because I'm sure it's going to exist at some yeah. point today. Um, what else is going on? We still gotta do the best case scenario. So let's, yeah. let's talk. What is best. the best case scenario for the mainnet launch
1: Best case scenario, all the tokens are locked on, what is it, June 1st, I believe. It might be early morning June 2nd. And then by June 3rd, the network is launched without a hitch. So uh, best case scenario, there's there's a very clear winner. Here's one main chain. It's launched. It's stable. It's not dropping blocks all over the place. The block producer is able to connect. People are able to get their tokens and vote. And there's not some there, there, there are no zero-day exploits. And a zero-day exploit is sort of a, a bug in the system that um, somebody knew about you know, before it even launched, but didn't disclose, you know, to use for their own personal gain. So, uh, best case there are no zero day exploits. There are no bugs that need to, you know, be, be fixed in a timely manner. Everything just works as it's supposed to work.
0: What are, what are your plans for launch day, Rob?
1: So we're excited about launch day. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who ends up being chosen as that group of 50 or so that are actually going to launch the chain. Cause now with a hundred plus, you know, delegates, I think it, it makes the most sense for, um, you know, the fifty to sort of come forward and say, hey, not only are we comfortable from a tech perspective launching this chain, but we're comfortable from a legal perspective and regulatory perspective and all these other perspectives launching this. Hey, we want to be one of the fifty. So I think one of the priorities before launch is just figuring out who those fifty are, you know, getting them in touch with each other, going through these these practice launches that I know three different groups are going through now. Um and, and kind of making sure that every possible variable is accounted for ahead of time.
0: I, I, That that's great about your your the cipher glass. I meant you personally. You're gonna be with your cats. You go into a launch party. What are you you gonna be doing? So
1: I have a personal launch plan where I cannot go anywhere. Uh, So I'm gonna lock myself in a bank vault with a wired internet connection to access my EOS as soon as it goes live.
0: I'll, I'll probably be, I don't know, no exact time's been mentioned, but there, there's been mention of a lot of launch parties all over the globe. So I'm sure some of the live streams, if, if some of the bigger ones, I'll be trying to watch some of that. Yeah, I'll definitely be watching those definitely live streams. Definitely heavily invested in the uh, Telegram channels oh, yeah. celebrating. But uh, I don't have any physical plans to be anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think it would be depending on how vested you are in EOS, and maybe if I wasn't doing Cypherglass, maybe I would go to a launch party, but I think it would be a mistake to be in a strange place, in a place that you're not familiar with when you have to access your tokens in case something goes wrong, because you never know what could happen. I mean, it, as part of that worst-case scenario, the chain could launch effectively, and then there's a bug, and you need to move your tokens to protect your tokens. You know, There, there are all these different things that could happen that were, would require you to access your tokens, and I don't want to be at a party in Los Angeles for this launch without what I need to do that securely.
0: You know what I mean? You know, the best case scenario is going to happen. So there's not going to be any, I think so
1: too. I'm (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's going to be, it's going to be somewhere between worst case and best case, obviously, but I think much closer to best case than worst case.
0: All right, Rob, I think that's a good place to stop today.
1: That sounds good to me. So if you guys are going to Tulip Conference in uh, San Francisco, June 7th and 8th, uh, I will be there representing Cypher representing ICO Alert. Um, So come out, say hello. You know, if you want to meet me, if you want to meet any of the rest of our team, um, we should have a couple of our tech guys there as well. So... Uh, Come take a look. Come have a chat. And uh, thank you all so much for listening to this episode again. Um, If you want to check out what we are doing with our blog producer, head over to cypherglass.com. That's C-Y-P-H-E-R-G-L-A-S-S dot com. You can take a look at what we're doing there, our mission, have kind of a white paper. Um, So take
0: a look and let us know what you think. I'm Rob Finch. And I'm Zach Gall. And this is Everything EOS.